Welcome to the RSP cast. We have two RSP casts this week. One that I've been looking forward to for at least the past three weeks because, um, you know, this is an old friend of the show, someone that I haven't had on it's been in a while. It's been too long. And that's Brandon Thorne with Trench Warfare. Brandon, welcome back to the show, man. Thank you for having me, man. It's uh, it's always fun to talk football with you, and uh, just honored that you wanted to have me on again. It's always it's always good. So, lot to talk about. Well, well, listen. You know, before we even get to that, let me just say that you know Brandon has a has a has a newsletter. Um, it's called Trench Warfare. Um, you can find it at trenchwarfare.substack.com. I believe that's correct. Um, right. Okay. And he and the newsletter is terrific. I'm actually. I've been actually planning to subscribe to it for the past couple of weeks, but I wanted to wait for the discount period to be over. Um, but it's a great source of information for, um, you know, just everything you want to know about offensive line, defensive line play. And it's so important, especially for, you know, if you're a fantasy player, learning more about that does give you an edge. And Brandon does write for Establish the Run. You know those fellows over there. I know a lot of you guys subscribe to that site who are um, listeners to the RSP. But Brandon, can you tell us a little bit more about your newsletter and, and what you feature in there and the details about how they can get it? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I wanted to uh, focus exclusively on line play since that's what I've been doing for several years now. And, and I, I just didn't really have an outlet to get all the information out to people through. So I looked into this and decided, uh, you know, I like their setup and everything. So I, um, you know, went ahead and, and went through Substack and, and started this, uh, gosh, I, I guess it's been like a month or two now. Um, but it's been great. I mean, uh, you know, I, I designed it originally with the idea uh, that this would appeal to, you know, players um, at all levels, coaches and scouts, and then also hardcore fans of the game that just wanted some more insight into the trenches. And then also casual fans and like fantasy players and stuff like that as well to kind of get a better idea of, you know, maybe why their favorite quarterback, running back or receiver was succeeding or struggling. So, that's kind of you know my audience, and then uh, have a bunch of different uh, content ideas and content uh, pieces that people can read. Uh, focusing, uh, you know, pretty much all my all my analysis is from the film. I don't really use a lot of you know stats because I don't think there are really great ones for offensive and defensive line play. There's well for defensive line, there's more for sure. You know, pressures, hurries, hits, all that stuff. But offensive line, there really isn't. Uh, you know, like kind of a stat that I go to to look at it, you know, to, to get an idea of players. So this kind of allows people to get a good idea, I think, of the landscape of offensive lines, both like as units and as players. And uh, I focus on technique, traits. Um, I do a lot of advanced scouting work that I think uh, is really interesting and that, you know, some people uh, seem to enjoy that as well. So I'm going to, I have a lot more stuff planned, you know, it's still kind of getting off the ground, but, uh, so far so good, man. I mean, I, I'm really enjoying it and I, I think some people are too. Yeah. I, I absolutely think that you're going to find this valuable. Um, if you've seen Brandon's work on Twitter, you see the video analysis that he does with offensive line and defensive line play. He's very good at highlighting the techniques and, and the, and the kind of the cause and effect of what happens when you see, um, what these, you know what these players are doing and and how that impacts the game um and the other thing about brandon that i think is is awesome in terms of him being a student of the game is 
you know, he's in addition to, you know, this has been a long time interest with him since even getting out of the military. Um, it's there's also the fact that, you know, he's been a student with um, Dan Hatman Scouting Academy, continuing to want to learn and different different things and add information. And in addition to that, what I found has been really cool is I think even before that, you were doing stuff with Duke Manyweather, the offensive line coach, former NFL offensive lineman, I believe. Duke was an, uh, or he was an offensive lineman in college, I believe. Yeah, and, college and college. Uh, maybe arena, I think. Yeah, but he has a he has <laughs> a pretty cool thing going on every year yeah. with NFL offensive linemen. So, could you tell us a little bit about that and and how you've gotten a chance to be able to be, you know eyes and ears in the room and a participant in this. Yeah. So it's called offensive line masterminds and it's a, a summit or, you know, a seminar basically of uh, NFL and college offensive linemen. Uh, they get together every year in Dallas, Texas, uh, the headquarters of the Cowboys basically in that general area. And uh, yeah, I believe this will be the fourth year uh, next well, this year uh, in July. So yeah, uh, the, the first year, uh, Duke asked me to put together all of the film, uh, that the players would be studying for the event. And it was all on pass rushers. So basically we Duke and I identified uh, about 15 to 20 interior and edge pass rushers that we thought were the best in the league. And we, uh, you know, formed that list. And then I went, and I basically watched every snap of all these guys and I put together an advanced video scouting report basically on them, uh, highlighting the, the moves that they like to use, um, you know, in descending order. Uh, so basically like their signature move and then their top counter moves. And that served as kind of a jumping off point for the linemen uh, in the room to have a discussion about you know, you know, how, how they win and, you know, how they approach each player. And, uh, you know, obviously a lot of the guys in the room were on the video as well. So they were able to say, Hey, this is what I was thinking here. Hmm. This is how I approach this. And it was just, it was an incredible, uh, opportunity to be in there and to hear these guys, you know, just break down their process and, uh, just kind of, you know, get a peek behind the curtain like that. It was just really cool. And, and every year since, uh, we've grown it, and um, you know now I actually provide written uh, scouting reports as well that players you know can use if they want. That you know I kind of give like best practices, uh, like suggestions on how to stop some of these guys, and uh, that's I think been pretty valuable. So uh, it's it's really cool, man. It's it's really cool like niche kind of thing that uh, uh, I think people have a lot of interest in and. Um, you know, I've man, it's been probably maybe the most fun single event that I've ever done, you know, related to football. Oh, I, I can totally imagine that. And didn't NFL films come and cover this like recently? They did last year, or yeah, yeah, uh, last year they did. Um, I actually didn't make it, that was the only year of the three so far that have happened that I didn't go, but I did all the film work for that one as well, so that was cool. But yeah, NFL films was there, you know, Brian Baldinger was there, and uh. <laughs> You know, they did the whole thing. They kind of profiled it. So I think you could find that on their, you know, like Twitter account or something. See, look at that. So so think about it that way from the standpoint that, you know, who we have on today, you know, obviously they write for some fan. They write for a fantasy site. 
They have their own site that really digs deep into offense, offensive line and defensive line play. And he's providing scouting reports to NFL players who meet annually to try and figure out how they can get better against pass rushers. And, and it was, and it's an event that's, you know, obviously has a lot of, you know, top notch players who are going to see this and, and participate in this. And the NFL's even covering it and putting it on in their record, you know, for, for kids to watch, you know, when they're watching NFL films, like, just like how we grew up watching that, you know, that's pretty amazing. So where can, how much, how much is this newsletter that, that you've, that you've got? Cause I, I, what I remember, I don't want to misquote it, but I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm buying this. So I'm going to wait till the, I'm waiting to, I'm waiting to pay full price, but for a year, what do they get? Well, or how much is it? Again? Yeah, I mean, for a year, uh, it's $85. And for a month, it's $9. Uh, I also have an option for $250 called a founding member. And that uh, gives people an automatic entry into an opportunity to get into the Offensive Line Masterminds event uh, in July. So uh, I'm picking two people uh, for that. So that's, you know, an additional option there as well. But um, yeah, so the three different options there. And, uh, you know, I have some sales occasionally. Uh, I just had two, so probably hold off for a little while, but yeah, that's the standard. That's cool. Well, good. So we're going to get into the, we're going to get into the meat of this. And, and one of the first things I do want to talk about with you, because this is kind of a theme that I've had going on for the past month with Russ Landy, when he and I do the scout talk episodes here is, is the whole idea of, evaluation mistakes, what we've learned, you know, and, and how we've learned some of those things. So I'm just curious, you know, what were some mistakes you've made that are common to those scouting offensive line? And, you know, it can be, I know that when I say offensive line, obviously we're talking about three different positions and how those can even interchange or be very different, but anything that comes to mind to you about, mistakes made that you've learned lessons from that are that you think are common especially for even if you're talking about just casual fans who are really into offensive line play or want to get into it but you know there are pitfalls that you might be able to help them either avoid or be, be wary of yeah for sure so there's a few different things uh i think you know one thing is uh the, the level of competition i think when you're watching uh, a past protector or you know if he's run blocking whatever offensive lineman or defensive lineman it kind of equally applies here is uh you know scouting the opponent i think is very important and uh it just provides valuable context to you know the performance of the guy that you're looking at so you know i learned this from dan hatman and uh it's something that i still try and you know apply uh and i you know conscious of so you know before i watch an offensive lineman's tape I like to go through at least, you know, a few series or a quarter or so of the opponent that he's going to be going against. So I'll get an idea. I'll get like an idea of the depth chart uh, of the opponent and I'll look at the, you know, look up the player, kind of just read about the defensive end, you know, for instance, if it's a tackle and just kind of see how he's producing, see his background, you know, stuff like that. And then I'll get into the tape, you know, uh, and I'll, I'll watch him first. And then that'll just give me, a, I think, a better lens to, to know what I'm looking at and to know how much to value what I'm seeing. Uh, because if the guy is, you know, just an average or below average starter and the offensive line lineman is looking really good and 
moving them all over the place and just dominating, then, you know, I just know to kind of temper my, you know, take away from that a little bit. And then, uh, you know, as you do that with more tapes and more opponents over the course of the season, I think you'll have a more accurate idea of uh, how good the player is that you're trying to evaluate. Uh, so that's a that's a big thing that I think uh, still gets overlooked a lot. I think of, uh, you know, Andre Dillard, um, you know, coming out of Washington State, first round pick with the Eagles. Now, granted, he's had injuries and stuff like that, but uh, one of my concerns, even though I, I still liked him, you know, I think a lot of people, well, I think the consensus on him was either like the first or second tackle in the draft and like a top 10 type pick. But for me, I thought, you know, maybe late first, early second, because of, well, a big reason for that was quality of competition for him was very low. I don't think he really went against any NFL caliber edge rusher. He might have went against, I think he went against Bradley and they, uh, his junior year maybe from Utah, but there, there might've been one more, but <clears throat> compared to the, somebody like Jonah Williams coming out that year, who was facing NFL guys all the time, you know, that to me was a big part of it. Uh, and then to transition into something else too, a little bit here that plays off of that is uh, what the offensive line is asked to do, uh, you know, and then you have to start looking at the players around him. Does he have to, you know, compensate for maybe a left guard if you're looking at a left tackle? Is the left guard a, a good player? Is he holding up his end of the the bargain here, you know, in, uh, in pass protection and run blocking? Is he, you know, is he uh, getting good fits on double teams? Is he allowing penetration on those? Does the left tackle have to, you know, hold off getting to the linebacker because he has to, you know, account for the left guard's, you know, bad footwork or whatever? Or And it just – you know, the, the thing about offensive line, all those guys are playing off of each other to a certain extent. So just keeping that in mind, I think, is important. Uh, and then also factoring in quarterback play is, is really important for offensive line, for pass protection, uh, especially because, um, you know, if a quarterback holds on to the ball too long, obviously, you know, the sack or if he gets sacked, it's, it's going to be on him most likely if he drops too far back uh, and gets too deep. Uh, that's on him, you know, and so I think looking at quarterback play as well is important. And then another thing with Dillard there, uh, as far as what he's been asked to do, you know, in the scheme that they ran at Washington State, uh, the splits were wider. So for, with the offensive line and it allowed uh, it, it really kind of shortened the alignment of the defensive ends that he faced. So he didn't face a lot of like wide nine pass rushers which put more stress on pass blockers because the angle is so difficult to get out there to your set point to make sure that you can kind of center this guy up. So most of the time when he was playing a defensive end and pass protection, he was right there on his shoulder, like a five technique. And that makes it much easier, obviously, because you can get your hands on him quicker and you don't have to play in as much space. And, uh, you know, space isn't really a friend of offensive linemen. Uh, especially uh, in pass protection most of the time. So, you know, that with the competition, I think, uh, kind of knocked him down for me a little bit. And I think so far, at least when he played in the NFL, he had some struggles, uh, especially against wide nine techniques who were able to really build up a lot of speed and then convert that to power. And it really kind of tested his anchor. And um, <clears throat> I think that's his biggest struggle right now as a pro and will be his biggest struggle uh, for the foreseeable future. So, that one, you know, I think those are some things, uh, 
you know, for offensive line. I don't know if you want to, you know, go into any of those. But. Yeah, I would love to actually, because I love what you what you mentioned. I mean, obviously, you know how the quarterback affects the pocket. That makes sense. You know how you know how your other teammates are working because it is a team. It is a team effort in terms of what you're doing as a unit. You're trying to function as a unit, and I think people forget that. And then, you know, obviously the quality of the opponent. So I want to start with the quality of opponent and, mm-hmm. and talk about maybe also, like, what the defense may be doing. Like, for instance, when I'm scouting a running game, you know, should I be looking at, you know, say they what they pride themselves on doing is they run a lot of, you know, they run a lot of counter and power and toss and they do it from pistol and shotgun with this running back and say he's a bigger back kind of like a 230 pound dude who's got enough burst to get the corner for the college game but I just don't know whether this guy is going to be fast enough for the NFL to be able to do that kind of work and then on top of it you know you also wonder I'm thinking would this guy be back 10 15 years ago really be an I formation back anyhow but with that in mind with them running a lot of gap type of plays um, what kind of defenses naturally match up well to that and which ones don't so that when you're looking and when you're scouting that type of a situation, you know, what are defenses you say, okay, well, if, if the defense is playing this type of style of defense, plus they have players who have these types of skills, this is going to, this may overload the offensive line to a point that it's going to be a difficult one to watch and and if the player plays well and doesn't creates a lot on his own or you know with lesser help than what he would normally get um, because offensive lines breaking down that's a notable positive or things that might be notable negatives does that make sense what i'm asking yeah i think okay. so um yeah so like i guess the style of defense that i would look at that would give you know counters and any sort of misdirection type of thing with pullers uh, trouble would be an attacking, penetrating style of defense, you know, um, I mean, which is kind of prevalent now, especially in the NFL. I mean, most defenses are kind of built that way. There's not a lot of uh, two-gapping going on uh, or, you know, big hulking type of, you know, odd fronts. You know, there is more bare front now, but uh, which is basically a defensive tack or defensive lineman over the guard, center and guard. Uh, and that creates some problems for the running game, especially, I think, uh, you know, that's that's kind of been, I think it was Vic Fangio who initially kind of used that against Sean McVay a couple of years ago. Uh, and it really kind of like, you know, brought the momentum that he created with his offense and running game to a halt. Uh, and then it's been mimicked and copied in different ways since. Uh, so that that's something that I would look at uh, for, for gap schemes is, you know, players and styles of defenses where they have really good snap quickness and they can get upfield and penetrate because, you know, if you're pulling somebody, uh, the guard who say you're pulling a right guard and he has a three technique over his outside shoulder, you know, I think of somebody like Grady Jarrett, he's like one of the best, if not the best in the game at this, if he sees a puller, he does an outstanding job at replacing him and basically getting on his hip pocket and then just he's in the running back's face, you know, as he gets the ball uh, a lot of the time. So I think if you look, if you see players like that, uh, they'll give, you know, teams that use pullers in any sort of scheme, counter power or whatever, uh, those type of players, I think, uh, you know, create a lot of havoc and, and disruption. So, uh, yeah, I think that answers your question. Yeah, absolutely does. So then, 
you know, and then I would think for zone, you know, for for say someone who runs say inside zone or um, you know a little bit more with that or with um, maybe if they go old school and they're playing with a fullback and they're you know they run behind a lead and they're playing ice running ISO and things like that. What yeah. you know, what would you be looking for there? So zone, it's kind of uh, touched on it a little bit, and I know it wasn't part of that first question, but I think you know the bare front is a is a good counter to that because it prevents guards uh, from climbing up to the second level, and you know kind of occupies them longer than they want to stay occupied. Uh, so it allows the second level defenders to get up, you know, into gaps and to just prevent the run from really hitting that second level. So, uh, but I think the type of player that you need for that is uh, more of an old school type of guy, which there's a lot of guys like that in the league now. I think of Michael Brockers. Uh, he does a lot of dirty work for the Rams. Um, and he's very good at basically stacking offensive linemen, stacking blocks and digging his feet into the ground and not getting moved. And he, he's able to take on double teams and combo blocks and stuff like that. So those type of players are still very valuable and they're on almost every roster in the NFL. They just don't get a lot of, you know, notoriety. I, I'm probably going to write about them at some point because I, I love watching those guys play. Uh, but yeah, so I, I think the teams that have really good, like stout, stronger, uh, technical type of guys uh, who can defend the run, who can, you know, keep their frame clear by really good hand placement and getting inside of pass or run blockers chests so they can control them and kind of read, you know, the backfield at the same time. Those type of guys, I think, can, you know, they go a long way in slowing down zone type of schemes because combo blocks are everything for zone and how well you work off of that to the second level. So if you have that first level guy who's able to occupy two, that is, uh, you know, that's huge for slowing down any kind of zone type stuff, I think. Okay, great. So so really what we're looking at here is that if you're running gap or any type of, you know, pulling type of play, then you're trying to disrupt it before the pull reaches its point. And so you're trying to, you that's know... way to do it, yeah. Yeah, and then... Yeah. And then from a zone perspective, you're trying to hold up the the inside from being able to get to the second level um, and and really kind of slow down their works there so that the second level guys can be the penetrators and the and the active tacklers. Yeah, I think that's predominantly the case, but then they also kind of bleed into each other because obviously penetration anytime is usually a good thing. Yeah. Even, you know, even against zone. And then if you have a guy, even you know, like for power and counter, there's gonna be a double team. Uh, somewhere on that concept so that one guy is going to have to be one of those hulking type of strong dudes who can hold up too but very true on the back side where the pullers are leaving uh that side those guys really you know need to be able to penetrate so i like breaking down uh you know this is kind of a side note here but when i'm watching defensive line i forgot who said this was years ago but i you know, they broke it down when they scouted them into front side and backside run defenders. And, you know, which e with each of those things requiring different traits. And uh, backside guys, you know, t typically, you know, if they're really good backside run defender, they, they're very quick and uh, kind of more that penetrating type of guy uh, because one, because they can replace that puller and then have that free access into the backfield, but then also in pursuit. 
you know, because obviously from backside, you know, that's where you're going to be uh, pursuing the ball. So, uh, and then front side is more of the big, strong guys who are holding up that double team and kind of forcing blockers and the path of the running back to alter a little bit. So that's another way to just look at, I think, uh, run defense and, and uh, specifically for defensive line. Yeah, and I know I'm making this simplistic, but I can imagine like, I can imagine how a Brandon Graham would be a really good backside player with his track speed. Yeah. And then yeah. same with Jadavian, but Jadavian would probably oh. also be a guy that because he's so disruptive early <laughs> on, he could do both. Melvin Ingram is another one. Oh, I love Melvin Ingram. Yeah, yeah. he's such a good backside run defender. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> another another question I have for you related to this is just um you know, we, you talked about the rapport with offensive line and quarterback a little bit, you know, about drop length that quarterbacks have to be aware of. But tell us a little bit more about things, you know, in terms of, you know, for me, I notice quarterbacks having to be aware of what their pocket's going to feel like. Like kind of having a feel that when they take a three-step drop or they're facing a certain type of front or certain type of pressure or a certain type of blitz, that they need to have a feel for what that pocket's going to feel like before they drop back and kind of have an idea of where that is so that they can maneuver that. So I'd love for you to go into more detail about that, if you don't mind. And other things that just fit sure. like quarterback offensive line rapport that people may not realize. Yeah. So one thing that I've learned uh, that I thought was really interesting that kind of changed the way I view the game is uh, with quarterback drop points. So generally from what I understand uh, behind where the ball is snapped, the distance of about nine to nine and a half yards is kind of where the quarterback's back foot should hit anything deeper than that. And it quickly becomes his responsibility for any pressure that he may see, especially around off the edges, uh, because it's just unrealistic for any offensive tackle to, you know, set at that vertical or that diagonal angle that long where, you know, that, that edge rusher just hasn't, more advantageous angle as the quarterback drops. So nine and nine to nine and a half yards is kind of what should, I think, be in a lot of quarterbacks heads, unless it's some, you know, uh, you know, concept that was installed that week that maybe it's deeper on that one play. But generally I think that's, that's a good barometer to have when you're watching quarterback uh, drop points. Um, and then, so I, you know, another thing is the different types of pockets I think is really interesting. So, uh, you know, there's basically two that I kind of look at and have, have been taught by guys over the years. Is and, and one of them is more of a tall pocket. So this is what Tom Brady loves. Uh, so he likes a really firm interior three. So there's there's just no penetration there at all. And then the tackles do more of a vertical set. And uh, they just, you know, the, the goal is, is for Brady, once his back foot hits, is to just step up and then he can survey the field. And it, it's very difficult to do that because guys get very close to him, you know, and he just does, he's just unfazed by it. Yeah, he's, you know? he has some of the best pocket movement that you will see. Yeah, it's incredible. But he likes that tall kind of pocket uh, where the tackles are doing that vertical set type thing. Um, and then uh, another way to do it is kind of form uh, more, more of like a bowl look where everybody is setting kind of at a like a, a 45 degree type of angle. And it's and it's um, providing the quarterback with more uh, lanes to kind of move around in. Um, and I think, you know, typically more mobile guys like that. 
but you know, that's, those are just two kind of ways that I think teams generally form their pocket. And then the quarterback based on that is going to have to, uh, you know, obviously, you know, plan his movements uh, around that. Um, so, Drew, yeah. Brees, Drew Brees to me looks like a guy who probably likes a bowl pocket, even though he's not a, like a big time yeah. runner. When you watch him, he finds lanes pretty well and it allows him to slide one way or the other. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, Drew Brees is a guy who is always like that. Um, you know, he, he does like a very strong, uh, you know, firm interior pocket as well. And I think, I don't know how much of that is because of his height or whatever, but, um, you know, I, I think over the years he's been known for that. You know, New Orleans always wants, you know, a really stout interior offensive line. Um, but you could still have a stout interior offense. Everybody wants a stout interior sure. offensive line. You know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, I think you're 100% right, though. He does like more of that bowl shape um, so he can kind of pick his spots and, and move around that way. So it's, it's really interesting to to look at that. And another thing that I see with quarterbacks, uh, especially doing this true sack rate thing I'm doing where I chart every edge rusher sack, uh, you know, just looking at quarterback uh, drop points and their movements is, you know, the, you'd be surprised at how many NFL quarterbacks, you know, rather than dropping straight back, they kind of drift to one side yeah. of the other just a little bit. And uh, that makes it more difficult on that tackles, you know, uh, block uh, wherever side he's drifting towards um, because the pass rusher has, he's that much closer to the quarterback. So that's something that I consider when I'm looking at these sacks and judging if they're high quality or low quality, because if a quarterback, you know, drops and he drifts into the, you know, closer and closer into that tackle and it gives that edge rusher an opportunity to reach around and touch him or, you know, uh, just kind of disrupt him for a second and then somebody else gets a sack. It's like, you know, that that's on the quarterback. Uh, so, you know, that's it, it's really interesting to, to, to look at quarterback play because I think it really is not, you know, some people want to say sacks are a quarterback stat. But, you know, I don't necessarily believe that. I think it's more – it's not 50-50, but um, it's more of a quarterback stat, but you do have to look at it case by case, I think. Yeah, it's definitely a variable that, mm -hmm. that that's hard to be able to quantify um, yeah. on, a, on a like from team to team, from game to game even. Um, because, right. yeah, I mean, you may have what – what if your guard gets hurt or your left tackle gets hurt? But you have you trust your right tackle more than now your replacement left tackle. Well, you might be finding yourself as a quarterback feeling like I need to drift over to this right side a little bit, see if I can get this ball off quickly. Oh wait, they're covering that guy a little tighter here on this play, anticipating the fact that this is happening. Right. And now I'm on the ground. You know, it's like it was a good idea. You can see what they're thinking, but it, you know that those are those are the types of details that sometimes get lost if you just go simplistic and say well you know the quarterback's at fault because he's doing this and you're like well why is the quarterback doing that you know right. and then you might go well there's good reason for that because if he dropped back and stayed true maybe um maybe he's not getting the ball off at all um because of the pressure coming from the left side so yeah yeah, yeah, there's a lot of variables. <laughs> for sure. So let's talk a little bit about running back play then. Like, what are some things for like, because, you know, one of the things that was discussed, say, with Jonathan Taylor this year, Tyler Dunn did an excellent article on on Jonathan Taylor, and I thought he did a very entertaining um, thing for his newsletter talking about how, you know, how offensive line play, understanding, like, 
you know, how long it takes for guys to set things up, how long they're going to stay on a combo block, where they're going to, where they're going to be, what the timing is and getting a feel for that helps you understand how confidently you need to hit certain creases because, and, and there's a lot that goes into like, if you understand who those players are, how long you can, how long you can press a crease or set it up or, or do different things on that level, which is why a guy like, you know, to the casual user, casual play, fan, you know, or fantasy player, they're like, Frank Gore, I don't want to hear any more about Frank Gore. I don't want to see any more Frank Gore. He ruins my fantasy seasons with guys that I think what might be pretty good, and he ends up taking over. But, you know, for the football fan, you know, you watch this guy and you realize that he's he's like teaching tape for the NFL because of how well he works with his offensive line to create in ways that a lot of guys who are more athletic than he is at this point to be able to to get the job done. So like Jonathan Taylor was back to him. He you know, he's a guy who's started to figure out and realize the feel the timing and understand all those things to the point that he doesn't have to think about it because in the beginning he was overthinking things. Now he's playing more like he's just reacting to stuff. So what are some of those things behind the running back and offensive line play that you could highlight that that that, that kind of fit that bill? Yeah, uh, well, I think you were touching on it there. Probably what I would go with, too, is the timing of things is so crucial. And I think part of that is doing a lot of advanced scouting on, uh, you know, the defensive line and the linebackers. You know, how how fast do the linebackers flow? You know, that that's a you know a big one, you know, because if they're real fast flowers and they want to get over the top and scrape or if they, you know, just want to shoot, you know, an under undercut uh, combo blocks, that's going to dictate – you know, how you handle it. Um, you who know, are guys got, who do that well in the NFL? Like, one, one or the other, yeah. Linebackers? Yeah. Oh, man. Um, well, I mean, obviously, you know, the king of it was Luke Keekley, uh, but he's obviously retired. Uh, this year, I mean, Fred Warner's really good um, at, you know, shooting gaps and, and being quick and triggering really quickly. Um, you know, just the guy, or Levante David, uh, is, is outstanding. At, at doing that and getting into the backfield. Um, and there's only so much you could do with guys like that. I mean, obviously they're faster and more athletic than every offensive lineman that is going to be trying to block them. So, uh, you know, if they read it correctly and they're one step ahead of the, the blocking scheme, chances are they're going to, you know, beat the blocker to the spot. But some things that guys can do, I mean, <clears throat> one of the things – you know, this is kind of a fundamental uh, of offensive line play is on combo blocks is, you know, eye discipline is huge. So, you know, you have to you get it ingrained into your head as an offensive lineman on combo blocks is you're trying in double teams. You're trying to, you know, get a good fit and get your body positioning just right to the guy that you're blocking with and your feet just right with his. And, you know, that fit initial fit has to be really good but you can't have your eyes on that target. You have to have your eyes on the next target. Uh, so that's what makes it so difficult is, you know, you're, you have a guy right on your face, basically, that is, you know, huge, strong, mean, all that stuff. And you're trying to get that good fit, but you can't really look at it though, because that linebacker is going to be reading the, you know, the ball carrier or, you know, the fullback or whatever his key is. So you have to be, you know, looking through that first level to the second level and be ready to either like bump your guy over if he comes over the top or 
the the guy you're blocking with has to be ready to bump you over so you can you know release off and pick him up if he goes the other way and that you know kind of cat and mouse game there is is one of the more fun things to, to look for on tape and it just takes a lot of repetition it takes a lot of you know communication it takes uh just it's so, such a detail-oriented task you know and um you know, I think the eyes are a really important part of uh, playing offensive line with specifically with run blocking and combo blocks because you have to be able to see through a threat to the next guy and, you know, kind of dictate your movements off of that while engaged with somebody else. So that's something that I think, you know, is to something to consider as well. That's I, interesting. I think that's cool because it makes you, when you think of that from a running back's perspective, then you're trying to, be on the same page with your guard and tackle or your guard and center in terms of say your Daryl Henderson running duo for the Rams, whether it's two combo blocks, basically a, a duo for those who may not remember is that, you know, you're, you're looking at those and thinking, okay, I'm reading my linebackers at this point, really to be, you know, that's where my ultimate goal is, is which of my blockers are going to go up to the linebacker and how do I help manipulate that? based on what I'm seeing with my, with my linemen, you know, both my linemen and the reaction to the linebacker. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, duo. I think most of the time the back is reading the Mike linebacker. So, which doesn't have to be a Mike linebacker. It can actually be a, you know, a, a big safety or whatever, whoever is identified as the Mike. And yeah, I mean, I think that's why, in, you know, evaluation of running backs, uh, seeing a guy who really is good at pressing, you know, a hole and, and being really, you know, like, I don't know how to really explain it as well as you probably can, but really, you know, staying on that initial track as long as you can to get that linebacker to freeze. And then at the last second, picking, you know, the gap that you're going to shoot or whatever, uh, shoot through. So, you know, sometimes running back see an initial opening and it's just, it's, you know, it's not real. Uh, it just quickly will close, you know, in an instant. They have to be able to press and then cut back. And I think the best running back to do that, and they have to have an understanding of the, you know, the combo block and the double team or whatever it is in front of them to be able to do that, I think. And the linebacker as well. Are, are there backs that you have seen that you look at and you go, they make their offensive line look better? Oh, uh, man. This season? Um, man, let me think. I mean, definitely Dalvin Cook. Uh Dalvin Cook is he, he's remarkable at how fast he can get through a hole and, and just how quick he is. Um, the way he can get skinny through creases that you don't even think are there. It's just like so many times I watch him and I'm you know, I'm just like, how how did he do that? You know, it's just like he's yeah. so his, his ability to stop, start and go is just like it's just unreal. So he's definitely somebody who makes the offensive line look better, maybe more than anybody else that I can think of. Um you know, I, Ezekiel Elliott in the past, I thought was, uh, you know, I haven't watched him a lot this year, um, but in the past, I thought he was really good at doing that. Um, you know, I think another guy who can create on his own really well is Aaron Jones. Uh, you know, he does a really nice job of when things are all blocked up. He just all of a sudden squirts out the backside and, you know, that's just him making a play, you know, and just being, you know, just uh, he's elusive, but I don't know how he does it. He just has that escapability factor to him that, you know, the play's never dead. And, you know, I, I feel like I see him a handful of times a year just have these huge runs where 
it looks like he's down and then he's all of a sudden gone. So the, I think those guys jump out to me. You know, Cook and Jones this year would probably be the two that I would name. That's a great trio of names for sure. I mean, I'll add Nick Chubb. I think he's a great guy who adds. Though he has a great offensive line. He he does a lot in terms of pressing and being able to set up defenders even when they miss even when his offensive lineman may miss somebody, he can do some things to help that guy get back on track um, and actually set up the block. And I've, I've highlighted that with Dan this past summer, um, you know, with some of his tape. And obviously he got a lot more help this year. Um, but, yeah. but Jones is a great choice. And he's a guy that, like, he's one of those guys that I've been talking about for the past month because it would be fun to see him like I think about teams that could use him where they have a young offensive line that's like a budding good could be a good unit but may just need a little bit more work maybe an extra man maybe two extra players but have some good components and I think Atlanta I think if if Aaron Jones went to Atlanta he's the type of guy that maybe from a production standpoint people who want to use him for fantasy football may not love that as much as they would you know somewhere else but like if they were to say you know what the Todd Gurley thing was fun but let's let's go with Aaron Jones and put him in there I think you get a guy who can help that offensive line as it's continuing to grow yeah I agree Carolina is another one that comes up even though they have McCaffrey I know he's been dinged up and stuff but they're kind of like a middle of the pack line that uh you know fits that Bill Jacksonville you know but I think they had a lot of success with their guy this year um sure the kind of middle of the pack units i think of very cool well listen you know this was this was cool gives us kind of people some a good idea in terms of you know some of the dynamics at play with with the skill positions and the trench positions which really you know is an ironic type of name calling them skill positions when you think about all the what you know what linemen do because those are the real skill guys but um but you know with that in mind, let's talk about some of the articles that you've recently had. You have one that's new today, and then you had one that came out recently um, about underrated trench players on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. So let's start with the defensive side of the ball and tell me yeah. about guys who are, you know, that were on, made that underrated list and why. Like, you know, give me give me four guys that like really stood out to you. It doesn't have to be like the top four, just be some, your four favorites in terms of that you find interesting to talk about. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll go from the bottom to the top and that way it could be uh, a little more interesting. Um, so, so I just did a top 10 basically. Um, and I think the first guy that I just have loved watching this year, who I don't know if he can replicate this in the future, but it's sure been fun this year is uh, Dennis Gardeck uh, with the Cardinals, undrafted guy, special teams player, you know, just an undersized, like, you know, energizer bunny type of guy who was playing off ball linebacker prior to this, but was primarily a special teams guy. But he got an opportunity this year in some of their pass rush packages to play off the edge. And uh, I think he's six foot, 230 pounds. Um, and he has, uh, I think he finished the year. I didn't watch week 17 sacks yet, but uh, through 16 weeks, uh, he had seven sacks. And um, I believe six of those were high quality where he's legit winning one-on-one matchups uh, against offensive linemen. So he's just kind of had a remarkable season this year. Um, and the, the craziest thing about that production, you know, uh, is he's only played 93 snaps up until that point, the whole season. Uh, wow. so just, 
just one of those guys who is just so fun to watch because he's just you can tell like every rep that like he thinks that he it might be his last you know and he just might go back on kickoff you know then he plays that way but he has some underrated power to his game which is just surprising because I mean, he's knocked back guys like Deion Dawkins, who's one of the strongest left tackles in the NFL. He's knocked back uh, um, Jordan Mailata, who's a giant for the Eagles. Uh, Will Hernandez. I mean, these are big, strong, like stronger, uh, you know, of the bunch type of guys that he's knocked back. Uh, so he's one of my favorite guys. I had him at uh, number six. Um, another guy uh, who I really love this year is Josh Sweat uh, for the Eagles from Florida State. Um, I think he's in his uh, second or third year. He, he's only played about 45% of snaps this season or 40% probably at this point because I don't think he played much last week. So he hasn't played a lot, but uh, he has uh, six sacks, um, three forced fumbles, and he had like a one of the two or three most impressive sacks of the season, I think, uh, a few weeks ago against Teron Armstead where he beat him clean with a, like a long arm uh, into like a forklift where he basically wow. comes up under uh, Armstead's wrist and just lifts him up and uh, just bull rushed him. I mean, it was just, uh, I don't think I've ever seen Teron Armstead lose a sack like that, but he has a lot of different moves that he is working on. And uh, he has an elite athletic profile, uh, like really special. So I think that he can be a really good pass rusher uh, very soon. And it, it, this season, I thought that he was showing a lot um, before he, you know, was dealing with his injuries and didn't get to play as much. So those would be two. Uh, probably my, probably maybe my single favorite guy is Romeo Aquara. Oh yeah, uh, for the Lions. Yeah, he's just been so much fun to watch. He kind of reminds me of Chandler Jones, and it's funny. I've got an opportunity to talk to Aquara, <clears throat> Romeo, a little bit. Um, just because he followed me on Twitter, I reached out to him like, hey, you know, just reached out to him and, t- you know, shared a video with him that I made and stuff. And and I was like, man, you kind of remind me of Chandler Jones. And he's like, oh, yeah, I studied him all offseason and I tried to pick up moves from him. And he does do stuff that Chandler D- Jones has done uh, as far as it's hard to explain because Chandler Jones is so unorthodox and there's not really anybody like him, but he has such long arms and he does such a nice job at using his length to his advantage and keeping guys off of his frame. And then around the corner, he has this kind of like this catapult type move where he gets underneath a guy's like armpit area and he'll, he'll kind of jump around the corner and then yeah. the offensive lineman through. And it's just a unique thing that Chandler Jones does. It's just there's not even really like a name for that move. But I saw Aquara winning with that kind of same thing this year. So I thought that was really interesting. And he's the guy I had never watched prior to this season before. Um, I always just kind of viewed him as just like another guy. You know, I, I just never really got a chance to really hone in on him. But, man, had a great year. Uh, I think he has really good power. Uh, I mentioned he has really good length. And he has some really good moves. He's a skilled rusher, and he's entering free agency this year as well. And this is uh, the best year of his career. I think he had a good year in 2018 as well. But, um, you know, his brother got added to the team uh, this past year. I think that, you know, may have helped him a little bit in some ways. And then there's also an interesting piece about his uh, training regimen. This offseason was very unique because of everything that was going on, and it actually kind of simplified the game for him, I think. And, he just he exploded this year. I thought I think he had, had a great year. So he was my number three. 
guy. And then uh, to give you one more, just a personal favor, he was my most underrated guy. Who I think he's been underrated for a few years now, and that's Carl Lawson. I uh, love Carl Lawson. Oh, me and man. John Owning are like John Owning's introduced me to Carl Lawson years ago, but oh god, I love yeah. Carl Lawson. Oh yeah, he's been doing this for years. The same move for years uh, since he first came in the league. It's this inside stab move that he has, where he just lifts guys off their feet, and uh, he's just he, he's just one of these guys. He's really compact, and he's very twitched up and explosive. And man, I mean, he gives guys some trouble. I I talked to a, a starting left tackle in the, the AFC about him, and he just was raving about Lawson. Uh, just talking about, you know, he looks really strong and he is really strong, but he's also way quicker than you would think with how he looks. Um, and uh, he's just he, that long arm bull rush type thing that he has. Uh, it is his go-to signature move. But as I was watching him, for all these guys, I studied every rep that they had that was a meaningful pass rush rep. So I was able to filter uh, their their reps and look at all non-RPO play action um, like boot rollout reps, uh, pass rep or pass plays. So it, when I looked at Lawson closer, I discovered that he has this uh, outside chop move that he uses where, you know, if that, if that long arm bull initially doesn't work and he tries to work around the edge and he has this chop that he uses his fist with and he hits the forearm of pass blockers. And I've seen like, you could watch a, Villanueva for the Steelers, their left tackle this year. He's he's got hit in the top of his forearm with that chop from Lawson. That's vicious. And then you see later in the game, he doesn't want to use that arm <laughs> from getting the edge. And it's just incredible to see it like that to, to to see the sequence of that happening. And he does that to to a few guys this year where he just has that really nice counter move to kind of soften that corner. Um, so I think he's like, you know, one of the best pass rushers in the NFL and somehow still underrated, but, uh, maybe, you know, probably cause the team he plays for or whatever, but he's, he's one of the best. So th those are probably my four favorite guys. I love it. And he's so creative too. Like he's one yeah. of those guys that when you think of, you know, having a vocabulary of moves, I talk about that a lot with wide receivers because okay. wide receivers and, and edge rushers have a lot in common in terms of the type of movements that they use. You know, it starts with their feet, ends with their hands, you know, a lot of times in terms of earning position. And there's a little bit of a game that they have against press coverage the same way that there's a game, you know, when you're pass rushing. But he's the type of guy that, like, if you were to transform that into a conversationalist type of person, like, say, pass rushers as conversationalists, you know, you would say he'd be the guy who just, like, he'd be, you'd describe him as witty and clever. Yeah. Yeah. Like a classical poet you know or like a just like a literature major or something yeah. yeah or a comedy guy who like roast the heck out of you you know yeah. basically someone who would like be able to like throw that one-liner and just destroy you <laughs> you right. know and, and use your own words to do it so you That's know great. I, I love that yeah so let's go to the offensive line we'll and we'll finish the show up with the with the underrated offensive line let's give me give me your favorite four Okay, so, um, well, so I only did five guys. Uh, okay, well then, let's do two because we don't want to give away all of them. Let's do two. Yeah. Okay. So probably my favorite guy on this list is Austin Corbett, um, which is really interesting because you know he was a Cleveland Brown. John Dorsey drafted him with the first pick of the second round and then shipped him off after a year and a half 
uh, for a fifth round pick. And then he goes to Aaron Cromer, who's the offensive line coach with the Rams, who I think is one of the best in the, in the game. And he gets in that wide zone scheme. He starts seven games last year. And then this year started, uh, I think, uh, actually this year he didn't miss a single snap. Wow. So he had 16 starts, 100% of snaps played. And Corbett's just, he's the guy I think that a lot of people envisioned who liked him coming out of Nevada is. And it's just amazing. I, I, this is another thing with evaluation that is just like, it's so obvious. And I think it gets overlooked is the situation, the environment, and the circumstances. <laughs> are everything, you know, um, or uh, close to it. Uh, so he goes into this, you know, great scheme fit for him. I actually think he's scheme versatile as well because of how strong he is. I think he could do gap stuff as well, but he's a great fit in this wide zone scheme. And I mean, I, I really liked him coming out of Nevada too. And one of the things that I liked about him there was, and that I see this year is his use of hands, uh, is just, kind of like what we're talking about with these other underrated pass rushers is uh, he, he uses his hands really well. Um, he has a, you know, a series of different chops and flashes that he uses in the run and pass game to just win leverage on a guy and to knock a guy off balance real quick, or just to create hesitation. Um, and to see that from a guy who's in his third year is really impressive. And then uh, he's very strong as well. He's very strong, like through his hips and his hands, he has heavy hands and he's able to create movement and he plays with an edge too, which I think the, the, the power element and that edginess to him is a really uh, invaluable thing for the Rams because I thought they were missing that when they lost Roger Saffold and John Sullivan. Yeah. And I think that was a big reason for their dip last year uh, as an offensive line. And he's kind of brought some of that back. Uh, so Corbett to me, I thought was the most underrated right guard in the NFL this year. And uh, I put together a very like extensive highlight tape of him in the article um, that people can go check out that shows all the ways that he wins at a high level. So that guy's probably my favorite. And um, the, the next, it's kind of tough to pick between two guys, but I'll, I'll, I'll just go with one guy because I think he's really interesting, and that's Denzel Good. Um, so this is a seventh round pick. Uh, he was with the Colts, uh, for a while and was, he, I think he got on the Raiders last year. So this guy isn't as well-rounded as Austin Corbett, and he's probably the most scheme dependent guy on my list. He's like strictly a gap scheme guy. I mean, I think he's 350 pounds. Um, you know, like he, I think he's six four, six, five, maybe he, he's a huge, huge, uh, human. <laughs> he's just a big dude. Um, he had 14 starts this year, 12 at left guard, two at right tackle. He's played more tackle in his career. Uh, but I think he's the better guard and hopefully after this year he stays there, but, um, he's a division two seventh round pick. I uh, love these kind of guys. And this year he got an opportunity, uh, when Richie incognito, uh, just couldn't get healthy. Um, so he got basically got plugged in and, I mean, just as a run blocker, he's dominant. Um, he's a below average pass blocker, uh, so he, he is limited, I think. He's probably, you know, I think he's a guy who can get better, though, because he, he hasn't had much experience uh, in general, let alone at left guard. So I think if he's able to actually play another season, um, I think he could probably develop, you know, into a functional type of guy. But right now as a run blocker, I mean, his tape this season was just incredible. The, 
the, the way that he was able to create movement on guys and just push guys around was just, you just don't see that in the NFL very often. Uh, so I thought he deserved a mention on this list and I wrote him up and wrote a little, little snapshot on how he wins. And I put together a, a really good, uh, I think highlight tape showing all his top locks of the whole season, basically. So um, those are two guys that I think a lot of people aren't talking about at guard uh, that, you know, I think deserve some love. Beautiful. Well, this was a great snapshot for an hour to talk about offensive line and defensive line play. Obviously, there's a lot more that goes into it, but it kind of gives us an idea of where it kind of bleeds in the quarterback play, running back play, helping us understand a little bit more about that. Brandon did a great job, obviously. You did a great job of being able to to give us a lot of that info and you can find a lot more, a lot more valuable info, both with video t instruction and, and great write-ups from Brandon at Trench Warfare, trenchwarfare.substack.com. Get his newsletter. You will, you will definitely benefit from that. I'd highly recommend it. And then of course, if you're a fantasy guy and you want to learn a little bit more about offensive line play, He's an analyst that established the run. You can also get, uh, you know, see his regular work there. Um, and you can find Brandon on Twitter at Brandon Thorne NFL. Um, he's a great follow. You're going to find a lot of great work on Sunday. I have fun, um, honestly, between probably he and I, you can get your trench, you can get your trench work and your skill player videos um, on Sundays or during the week and, and kind of be covered in terms of getting to see what's going on each week because, uh, Brandon covers the the waterfront when it comes to uh, you know doing video highlights. It's fun to I, I always keep him on my main feed on Twitter because I like seeing what he what he's up to and learning more about um, you know who's playing well and what they're doing. So thanks for ha you know for being on again. We're gonna have to get you on again after the draft or around the draft maybe, and when you get a chance to watch some of these uh, some of these prospects and where they fit and, and give us a chance to tell us about what you think of them. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to be doing a lot of draft work this year. So the okay. most of it done. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Well, good. Then we'll might have you on before, you know, we'll see, you know, yeah. what your schedules are like and um, what you have going on. But again, you know, thanks again for joining us. And, and, uh, you know, I appreciate those of you who've, um, you know, been listening to the RSP cast for these years and, and certainly you can find the RSP cast on, um, you know, iTunes on all the different um, formats, Google Play. Well, they're gone, aren't they? See, look at that. It's already leaving. Amazon, I believe we got Amazon, Spotify, um, Podbean, all of those places. Pretty much your favorite, uh, you know, option to use. You can find it there. Certainly rate and review the podcast if you feel so inclined. Or you can email me at Matt Waldman RSP. Um, Matt Waldman RSP at gmail.com and let me know what you think of that as well. And for on behalf of Brandon and myself, thanks again for listening. You guys have a good week.